Don't talk to me unless it's about The Locust and the Bird by Hanan Al-Sheikh. Today, we are talking about the second half of the book from page 152 to the end. I'm Darla. I'm Caitlin. And we're going to start with our feelings, Caitlin. As always. (laughs) This is such a coaching therapist question. (laughs) Caitlin, the last time we talked, you weren't really enjoying the book very much. How do you feel about it now? Well, Darla, you know, I enjoyed the second half of the book a lot more than the first. I feel like there was a lot more action and and potentially even more, maybe more years of her life were covered. And so it's funny because my complaint about the book was that it didn't slow down into smaller moments. But when I think about the second half, maybe I liked it because it covered so much. Yeah, I feel like there was more action, more ups and downs. and also a lot more unknown. The whole first half of the book, I knew from the book jacket that she was being put into arranged marriage and going to have an affair with someone else and then eventually get a divorce. But that happened kind of right at the beginning. And then I didn't know Muhammad was going to die so young. You know, I didn't know she was going to have other children. I thought she actually only had the author and the one other daughter. And and I thought that she was alive, that the mother was alive for the writing of the book. Um, so yeah, I think there was a lot more unknown, a lot more that was covered and more complicated, I guess, feelings and things that were discussed than I was expecting. And so I still struggled with some of the same things that I struggled with in the first half, but to a much lesser degree. Yeah, it sounds like there's st- there was still a but there for you. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I really just don't read memoirs or biographies. And this is, I guess, kind of kind of a biography. And I know people who only read memoirs and biographies. And so I always feel so weird kind of speaking like I don't like something because I never wanted to come across as like, and that means this is bad because she's obviously a really talented author and has her own really special place in writing this story. And so I don't say that speaking bad of it. That's just how I experienced it. And I have a very specific, you know, genres that are the ones I really like. And I tried stepping outside of it and I'm glad I did. I'm, I'm very glad also that I know this person's story. You know, it's, it's not the kind of life story of anyone I know. And I I do feel like I benefit from just being exposed to such a different life. Yeah. Yet, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that if you can't relate to any character in a book, it is really hard to like the book. I find at least like I, even if the whole genre isn't necessarily something that I can relate to my life, there's usually a character or a plot line or something that's relatable. And Camilla's life is not relatable to the two of us who have grown up privileged in America. I wonder if you saw any aspects, but now by the end of the book, like now that we've seen Camilla's character more filled out, you know, like a lot of her pieces of her, do you see any aspects of her that you can relate to? I definitely... Yeah, when I was looking at what I liked about her, I think the things I like about her are the things that I like in friends I have and that I try to like in myself. 
that I feel like she was fun. She was bold. She was really an interesting people person. She engaged with so many different people and she was she was the house that people came to. And that's always my dream is to have my house be like the house that friends are just coming in and out of. And, uh, you know, that when Ada grows up, like people are coming in and out, like my house is kind of like that growing up. And she's adventurous. And when I think about some of her stories of parenting, she would just kind of go do what she wanted to do and take the kids along with her. Like she wanted to go to that summer house. And so it sounded like chaos. It was like, I'm going to go to the summer house by myself with five kids. And she just made it happen. So, and that's something I guess that I kind of aspire. Like some of these are aspiring things. And she also seemed kind of like hot tempered and I can identify with that. I think in some ways though, I almost didn't get to know her well enough. Like there'd be moments where there's one scene when she went into Muhammad's work and she was really mad at him and he was really mad at her and they were fighting. And I just, I wanted to, that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I want to like microscope into this. What were you each thinking? What was going on in your heads? What was like really making you mad? Because I could identify with the kind of like hot temper they were both coming at, at each other with. And now that I know though, that Hanan wrote this after her mother already died, she had no way of getting more once she started writing. Right. Yeah. I mean, she had the letters and stuff that was kept, but you're right. At some point you're, you're like, oh man, I wish I could ask that question or I wish I could get more into that moment. I can see, I think what, what uh, the way that I kind of translate what you're saying to, for me is like, you know, I really liked the book. I, I loved the characters. I, I you know, I very interested to read more of her writing. There is a part that I feel like is a little caricature of Camilla. You know, she almost seems to be this caricature of herself. I wonder if that was intentional because some of it is those things like the pranks that she plays and the big personality that she has and the things like taking five kids on a on to, to summer retreat. Like how many of us would do that? You know, like it almost seems too too big to be real or that you're glossing over a lot of the pain and agony that came along with that decision and, and the logistics of it. And that like the, the pranks and the fun that she had, I mean, she obviously talks about the pain that Camilla's mare, you know, arranged marriage cause and, and, and everything in her life, but the pranks almost make it maybe sugarcoat that existence a little bit. So it feels a little bit un unrealistic, even though you know the whole story is real. There's a comedian I really like named Mike Birbiglia and he Oh, you love him too? Yes. Okay. Oh my and god. You know that his, you know, his sketches are all they all incorporate some kind of real heartbreak or life challenge. And I've heard him say in an interview that nothing in life is only one thing. Nothing in life is only sad. Nothing in life is only funny and happy. Even when your mother is dying on your deathbed, like there are funny moments that come up. When I think about this, okay, her life had a ton of pain and challenges and also not every moment was gloom and doom. And it was also hard, you know, even given that it's still hard to get a picture of, I remember the first time they brought up that she played a prank, played a prank on her first husband. I was like shocked because I kind of thought he was a really bad guy and like wouldn't stand for that and was like would be abusive if she did that. And then I thought, okay, maybe I've kind of read the situation a little bit wrong. And 
complicated my picture of what her home life was like. And I was still left with kind of a question of, I mean, it was clear that it wasn't a situation that made her happy, but it was hard to tell sometimes how bad it was. And also I, I almost feel ridiculous even saying that because, you know, who am I to decide how bad it was? She was the only person who needed to decide that. And she made her decision. And maybe I don't need to understand what it really was like. And we all have coping mechanisms, right? I almost wish my coping mechanism was more like hers to play a prank and have fun when things were hard. But my coping mechanism is to like run away from it. So I'm like, no, when things get hard, you run away. <laughs> and she's like, mm -hmm. when things get hard, you play a prank. And yeah. so, you know, you always sort of see yourself in the context and that makes it less believable of, of a character. But of course she is still a believable character. And what I'm saying is it's not all about me. <laughs> well, I do want to know what parts of yourself you saw in her or did you did think, you relate to her similar to you is like aspirational of like man I wish when things got hard I mean you and I've had these kind of conversations not related to this book of when things got hard we both appreciate humor so much and in good times humor is really easy for us but when things get stressful the humor is one of the pieces of our personalities that leave Right. And it seems like for Camilla, that's not what happened. And it's probably, again, a coping mechanism, right? She has been through trauma that I have never experienced. And so she probably needed that level of coping mechanism to just be okay with what was happening in her life. I see her challenging the people around her, even in situations that she might not be able to make any real change on. And that's, that's a part of myself. I do see, um, like the number of you know, hard conversations I've had with people who may be on a, you know, different, different end of the political spectrum. And I know I'm not going to change their mind, but I'll still have that, that, you know, I'll still challenge them and have a hard conversation. See, she, she seemed to do that. I would like to think that I had the, that if I was in her situation, I would have the amount of grit that she had, but I don't know that I would. I mean, she really has a tremendous, she had a tremendous amount of resilience. And what I find really amazing about that is from the reading that I've done around Hanan is that, that resilience, that grit was passed down. You know, you can see it. I mean, Hanan al-Sheikh is, you know, often described as like one of the most daring writers in the Middle East, especially as a woman, especially the way that she writes about Arab women. Mm-hmm. I can be curious to hear more about Hanan, the author, because I actually haven't looked up more about her. She's very revered. She has a number of books that she's written, mostly novels. She talks about that in the beginning of The Locust and the Bird, right? That she, her mom said to her, stop writing everybody else's story, you know, write mine, I'm right here. She is very well respected and she's very respected in the fact that she talks about women in the Middle East and questions the roles that they play, the, the society's expectations of the roles that they play, but in a way that is palatable, in a way that people can read. You know, it's not so controversial that it gets banned. You can see that she wrote about a really strong woman, her mom. She wrote a real story about a, a, a really strong woman defying some of society's expectations but she didn't do it in a way that was that was offensive or in your face or 
I mean, I'm sure some people would be offended by it, right? You can never please everybody, but it is really impressive to me that she's been able to figure out how to, to balance between those two worlds. You're right. She didn't go on any kind of rants or real critiques of many of the policies. The most she critiqued openly was the for the forced the arranged marriage. And it's funny because as I'm saying this, I'm realizing, well, is that Hanan or is that Camilla who didn't have that that they wanted in this story? But it must obviously be part of Hanan because you've seen this in her other books. And also, you know, just goes to show to me, I'm, you know, from my American background, I read this and don't think anything could possibly be offensive because to me it's just pointing out the facts of this was an arranged marriage and it wasn't a good situation and she was 13. And it appears that later Hanan had no ability to control her own finances. And also this was so long ago. Like even in the U.S., I don't think women could get a credit card without a man signing off on it until like 1960 or something. So it's like this also, I think this is part of me having been born in America, but also being born in 1990 and not in 1920-something. Isn't it fascinating to think about, since we both have daughters, like to think about what our kids are going to talk about? If this was our daughters in 30 years mm-hmm. having this podcast and talking to each other, what would they say about our lives? That was like, wow, can you imagine that our moms couldn't or didn't or, oh, it's going to change so drastically, inshallah. Like, hopefully it changes drastically. I think there's a lot of topics it's easy for me to see what will improve and be different. They're going to look differently at how we treat the environment, at technology. I think at gender, generally, like gender fluidity and gender identity, but I am totally blind to a lot of things that, like you say, in 30 years will be like, oh my God, duh, didn't you, I don't know, think of this thing or didn't you want this? Right. I want to talk about something that is an aspect of of Camilla's personality that I don't see myself having. She was so focused on romantic love. And I, I ha- I've talked about this with people about relationships because I think we all, we very often, again, see things from our context. So if I am in a relationship I think that everybody is in a relationship for those same same reasons that I'm in a relationship. This is how you show love or this is how you express love to each other. And in reality, that's totally not true, right? We're all in relationships for different reasons. You could have 10 people who are married and ask them why they're married and there's a different reason each person has. And Camilla chose romantic love. That was what was most important to her. Some people would have stayed in that first marriage and just stayed the course because there was some security around it. It was what was expected, you know, fill in the blanks. But she picked romantic love, which was almost unheard of at that time. Do you find that courageous or do you find that crazy or something else? So when she was having an affair with Muhammad, I think I almost liked and respected their relationship more than when they were married because I was like, oh, the first marriage is where she's in her shackles. And with Muhammad, she is free and he respects her as a free, independent woman. 
And then as the story goes on and, you know, we're finding out about when he wants to get married to her, I was seeing more of the traditional side of things where Muhammad wanted a wife to do his laundry and do these things. And I was, I was like, wait, what? I didn't think it was this kind of relationship. And then when they did actually get married, I was surprised by the number of challenges they still seem to have because I felt like I thought that their relationship, I guess, was more mature than that, maybe, that they, that because they endured so much to be together, that they had worked through some of these things of how many children do we want to have? What do we want our home life to look like? And I think a lot of this is me imposing like today's times of how parenting and marriage or partnership works. And so I'm not sure what I think about her pursuit of romance I think part of it was probably influenced by all the movies she saw that it was very this type of love was very idolized maybe it was kind of a little bit naive and and I mean she was very young when all this was happening this was all happening in her teenage years right so I think I had gone into the book thinking just reading the book jacket and the bird's eye view of her life being like oh my god I'm gonna support this woman 100 this is crazy what she's had to endure whatever she had to do I support her and then reading the book I felt conflicted like I wish she had a mature conversation with Muhammad right now about like listen we need to discuss our our roles and if my body can't handle getting pregnant again right away that makes me wonder did her romance cloud some of these more practical sides of partnership yeah what do you think about their their romance and her you know her love of this specific kind of love. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right about the influence that the films created. We as as people in society talk about the influence that Hollywood and the entertainment industry and influencers have on on our own happiness, right? That that might be a part of the, the, the problem of either depression or ennui about your, about life, right? Is that it's like, there's always, there's something else that's more fantastic out there. I know I compare my relationship to Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. So, you know, I mean, how am I going to compete? Yeah, seriously. I mean, I love romantic love. I definitely would say one of the reasons that I'm in a relationship in a marriage is to have some, have romantic love. I know there are Plenty of people who are in relationships for much different reasons and romantic love is really low on the list of priorities or not even existent in the relationship. So it's not unimportant to me. I think there's also a part of me that feels like I grew up with that. My stepfather told us to like marry rich, you know, and so like I grew up with that idea of which can be for different reasons and make sure it's practical, but I'm a feelings person and love was important and I need to, need to feel swept off my feet. So there's a part of me that it's that dichotomy of being human, right? There's the part of me that like really loves that. And it's great. That's sweet. And, and I think it's awesome that she went for that. And there's part of me that's like, it's silly. Like you need someone practical who can take care of you. And in some ways, I guess I, I really admire her for having this one thing that she was like so committed to that love that she and Muhammad had the letters that they wrote back and forth to each other. Like, I mean, she didn't write just any run of the mill letter, even though she couldn't write, or it was beautiful poetry that was in her head. And it almost shows you how 
brave and her own person she was that in this setting, romance was even less valuable than in any setting we can imagine. And so the fact that she, even though it was in the movies and idolized there, it seems like really in real life, it was not seen as a value. And so I do respect her being truly her own person for prioritizing that because it was important to her and for, for no other reason. She often did a lot to take care of the extended family. You know, she slept in a corner of the house for years. She she gave up so much for other people, but at the same time, she also stayed true to herself through a lot of it as well. I mean, I don't I I I think that we we can't underestimate how hard that balance is. She was in so many impossible situations too. She was. I mean, really, that is not an understatement. Impossible situations. What could make you like this book more? I think I would have liked to see more detail into certain moments as well as periods of her life, maybe speeding through some parts, like her childhood, I kind of kind of kind of sped through and gone into what were actual conversations she had with her first husband, what were conversations she was having with Muhammad, what were conversations she was having with her friends? What did it really look like when she told someone, I'm having an affair? Because we, we knew all along, there are so many people who knew about it. But I always wondered, like, how did they first learn about it? And what did they say? Were they supportive right in the moment? Like, what did those things look like? Very detailed. You sent me some questions to think about before this. And one of them had been about Hanan's reaction to her mom's story. And I, that's something I want to learn more about. But then I also was thinking, maybe that's not what this book was for. This book was for her mother to have her life told. And it was an, uh, an homage to her mother. It was her mother's moment to be the one who spoke. And so maybe this wasn't the place for me to learn more about what Hanan thought about her mother. And also I was left wondering, Hanan seemed to really get to a place of forgiveness and total understanding. I didn't, I didn't feel any bitterness or resentment. And I want to know how she got there because I imagine that is not how she always felt. And I would love to know what were some of the ugly thoughts she had about her mother and like, how did she actually turn those around to come to this place? Because it seems like a really, a big, like personal growth thing for someone to have done. And I love hearing those kind of stories. I agree that I don't really hear, I do hear a lot of like forgiveness, maybe, you know, like no resentment, I carried over forgiveness, understanding, almost a detachment. I can't say like, uncaring, but just a detachment from the fact that this was a life, which I think is really hard for us as humans to not center ourselves in a story, especially a story that we're involved in, especially a story about our mother abandoning us. How do you not center yourself in that? And I think that goes to show what an amazing writer, how incredible Hanan is at her craft in that she can write this story and not center herself. One of the things that I read about writing is, especially when you're writing about your own life, is don't write about anything for public consumption. Don't write about anything that you're still processing, right? If you want to write about heartache, but there's this one relationship that you ha still have not fully processed and don't understand what happened and have a lot of one-dimensional feelings about, don't process that in a public sphere. It's not the place to do it. So 
I feel like reading her book, she she adhered to that advice, whether she got it or not. This is such a personal story. I think so many people probably wish they wrote their story, wish they wrote their mother's story, but can't do it. So they 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 die with never having done it because they can't get to that place place where they're past processing it. So really and admire is such a state. The word comes too short for what I feel about Hanan and the way that she's been able to process through her feelings. Because you get that. You get that she had resentment. You get that she felt abandoned. You get that she didn't understand some of the choices that her mother made. But when you read the whole story and you get to the end, it's not there, still there. She was able to objectively tell that story. She's really an, such an impressive feat. I agree. I also was very impressed by that. I remember there was a moment when, obviously it's Hanan writing it, but you know, it's as if it's Camilla's voice and it says something like, my daughter Hanan really had a hard time resenting me or something. And I had this moment of you know, almost expecting the words to come in of like, by the way, that's me. Remember the person writing this? <laughs> Yeah, not only that, but also to say, it's me. And yeah, I should have presented you because you abandoned me when we were kids. You know, like, yep. Yeah. Like, which is probably what I would have done. And she really stayed true to it being, no, this is my mom's time, her turn to tell her story and kept it on her. Because there were many, many chapters where I was like, we haven't heard about Hanan or Fatima in a long time. And Obviously, their lives were having things happen, but she wasn't telling that story. She was telling Camilla's. Yeah, she really stayed true to it. I think it really, it, in impressive ways. This, um, this book has made me think what store, about what stories I want to collect from. My, my husband and I both don't have grandparents who are alive, and, and we haven't since we got married. But we have all of our parents. And what stories do I want to collect from their generation before those stories aren't around anymore? You know, how I wish my grandfather wrote an official autobiography on my, my paternal grandfather. So I have this story of his with some great stories from their um, lives, but, you know, it's still just like snippets of it. And what stories do I want to collect? There's apparently a lot of different, like, this is no surprise, software and apps and stuff that you can gather stories from, whether it's questions that people that generation would like type answers to or that they could just dictate and you could have voice recordings of their stories. It's really made me think about what what do we need to preserve because Hanan has this amazing story that she's now preserved about her mother that she again gets to pass on to her daughter and what do we want to capture? And I think a big block with that kind of stuff is it just feeling awkward. It almost feels like rude in this way of reminding someone of their death like by the way i'm doing this because you're gonna die (laughs) but you know that's these are like kind of ridiculous social norm things of like that shouldn't get in the way of preserving these amazing memories and stories and literally documenting history and also another level of the awkwardness there's also the awkwardness of asking i don't know about your family but my my family isn't we don't air dirty laundry I mean, it will, will deal with an issue when an issue comes up, but 
the things that we want to know about Camilla's life, can you imagine that you're asking your mom those being like, well, the first time you fell in love, not with dad, but like with the first person that you fell in love with, like, how did that feel? Or what was the heartbreak like? Or, you know, my parents are divorced. I kind of want to understand more about what happened there, but that's digging up a past that people may not want to dig up. They might not, they, you know, talking to my mom, she might not want to go there. She may have put those stories to rest. I guess it starts with an agreement. It's establishing strong rules of engagement. I wonder if Hanan and Camilla did that. It feels to me like Camilla was willing to be very open and Hanan was very brave in asking the questions. Like, I think there was just a tremendous amount of, of bravery in just showing up as who they are. Well, and it seems like Camilla was almost bursting at the seams to tell her story that it almost seems like for her, very little would have been off limits because she was so eager to, to tell her story. And even given that, I imagine there were parts she didn't like telling or were very painful. We got a little bit of an insight into the time that they spent together in Lebanon, but when presumably Camilla was telling her a lot of her life story and they were visiting her hometown and everything. But I would have loved to know, like, actually, what did that look like of, were they just having conversations all day and Hanan had her phone out and was recording it? Did they together look through documents, photos? Was this over the course of two weeks or a year? I would have loved to know what that process looked like, knowing that she got everything all at once. And then later, I think several years later, went back and went through all these things and started writing the book. It goes to show you, you know, again, since we both write, we know we read about like the process of writing. It goes to show you how long that process is. I think we often read a book and we're like, I want to sit down and write a book. You're like, I can write a book. Let's see, how long does it take to write 60,000 words? Okay, I can write a book in the next three months. I'm like those, the books take years and years and you put them down mm -hmm. and you come back to them. And I don't, and I know there are people who crank out a book a year you know, two bucks a year, the Danielle Steeles and Stephen King, like the people who can just like crank, 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 crank. And they know there's people, other people who crank them out even faster. But I think a lot of writing, it's this, it's a long process and it's not contiguous and mm -hmm. takes a lot of resilience, more of the resilience that we've seen exhibited in Hanan to keep on going back to that. Definitely. I want to ask a question because Ruby's were really important to Camilla. And I, I'm actually interested, we should do a movie night where we can over Zoom watch, watch one of the films that she talks about, like The White Rose or something. But what movies, if the book was written about your life, what movies would be in it? So I'm really little. glad that you asked this question ahead of time because I think if I had to think about it on the spot, like when I first thought about it, it was like, God, what movies do I like? I really love When Harry Met Sally. But then when I had more time to think, I realized movies aren't really an important part of my life. For me, it wouldn't be movies. It would be music, I think, first and foremost, and also books. And it got me going down this whole very enjoyable train of thought about, okay, what were like the important books of my books and music of my teen years, college, 20s, you know, now, today, 31. And it made me realize that a lot of my music over the years has been tied to other people, sometimes in a very, you know, benign way of 
my friend introduced me to this musician and I loved them, but then I came to love them on my own. And other times it was, oh, like this boy I liked thought this music was cool. And so I started listening to it. And then I genuinely like it and listen to it 10 years later, but that's how it started. And so it always has that like memory to it. Whereas books have always been totally mine until this podcast. I've never publicly talked about the books I read and even reading books for podcasts. When I read it, like it's happening, just me, no one else hears it. No one else knows what's going on. It's like this private thing. And so the books I've read over my life have always been influenced just by my interests. They haven't had that outside influence, but both I can think of so many moments of, oh, a moment when this relationship was starting, I was playing this song a lot or in this heartbreak, I was playing this song. And yeah, if my life story were written like this, it would be books and music instead of movies. Which is interesting because like Camilla couldn't read, right? So hers had to be, hers had, it couldn't have been books. Mm-hmm. And she did actually have that you, music. I think some, a lot of times yeah. songs and things that she would sing would come up. Yeah. yeah that, and especially ones that came from the films that she watched. That's interesting. I would have not thought of that. I'm much more like when the question's asked, I'm like, oh, I guess I have to think about films, right? Whereas I like the way that you were like, no, I don't think that would be in my life. Because my my feeling was like, oh, yeah, I just don't ha- really have film. I can think of films that right, were, like, I remember I saw the movie Clueless with Alicia Silverstone, like 11 times in the theaters or something like that. <laughs> I loved it so much. Like, I just thought it was hysterical. I even took my grandmother to go see it. That's how much I loved it. I just had, which was like, so it was obviously important to me at that moment. I kind of feel like I was probably also escaping from something, you know, I'm going to the theater. I love that to see. But would I say that like movie was as poignant to me as some of these films to Camilla? I don't think so. I don't have movies that move me the same way as I do books. You know, like I do have books that have just, that stick with me. Uh, And I just recently, I'm in a writing class right now, and I just recently did an assignment in which we had to pick a song to write 300 words about and share it. What she asked us for us to pick like 10 songs that have meant something to us in our lives. Some song that has stuck with us. Not our favorite songs, but something that has stuck with us. And when I heard the assignment, I was like, oh, it's going to be so hard because songs don't really stick with me. And so I opened up Apple Music or iTunes or whatever it's called. And I started looking through the directory and I was like, oh my God, that song. Oh my God, that song. Oh, wow, that song, right? And like playing them and parts of my life definitely come back to me in a way that they don't in any other medium, even with a book and books mean the world to me. I can't open up a book and bring back that part of my life the way that I can a song. So I agree, it would be it would be music to me. That would be the a reoccurring theme and not films. Hi, my name is Neda, and I recently read Hanan El-Sheikh's The Locust and the Bird. One thing that stood out to me about this book is that it was a memoir about the author's mother written through her mother's point of view, despite the author's often difficult relationship with her. I see it as an act of courage and grace, the way Hanan makes space for Camila's experiences. It's really such an act of love. 
Another piece that stood out to me is the way it reminded me of how steeped in colonial and state violence our experiences as Arab women are and how important it is to shape our own experience and share our stories. It was a good reminder that we are more than our struggles and we don't need to build our identity around struggle. Reading this book gave me the opportunity to think about how we can create our world from a place of expansion and joy as opposed to contraction and fear. I hope other people enjoyed getting this rare glimpse into Camila's world. Hi, I'm Elise from New York City, and I read The Locust and the Bird about two years ago during COVID, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. It's such a unique storytelling style. The way that it's told very much about the mother and from her perspective, but through the lens of what the daughter learns over time. It's so special. It's such a special mother-daughter story. And my main takeaway from it, I think, was about how we disenfranchise women all over the world through a lack of education. The mother was so passionate and intelligent and so crippled by a lack of education. And it just has me wonder like what she could have accomplished in a life where she was given all of the tools to thrive and just really fell in love with her. 10 out of 10 would recommend. You know what would make this podcast even better? Me saying like less. And more importantly, this show would be better if you were on it. We want every episode to include audio messages from you. To make this happen, you need to know what the episodes will be about ahead of time. And I can share that with you when you get the podcast newsletter. Sign up at donttalktomepod.com. And you know that thing they all say about please leave me a review? It would be really cool if you did that. So give it a thought. Hopefully a five-star thought. Thank you.